Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, where we discuss digital transformation and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here, some of the most innovative thinkers and leaders in healthcare and technology talk about how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it's my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Seth Hine and uh, Sam Butler from Epic. Seth and Sam, thank you for setting aside time, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Patty. Thank you. Very good. So let's jump right into it. Uh, we are seeing some very interesting times in healthcare, and technology is at the heart of uh, whatever is going on. Telehealth visits have obviously gone through the roof in the last couple of months. Uh, by now, that is old news. We also saw one of the leading telemedicine platform companies announce their results, and as expected, they kind of blew through their numbers and their forecasts, and their numbers were off the charts. So let me start by asking you folks, are we going to see the telehealth visits pull back to a lower number in a steady state, maybe later in the year, or are we seeing some kind of a permanent shift of certain types of care to a telehealth model by default in future? Yeah, I think that we are going to see video visits as a integral part of healthcare from now on. And it took this pandemic to really show how, how efficient and useful a video visit can be. In my practice, I did pulmonary and critical care before joining Epic, and I can remember many times seeing patients in my office, elderly men in a wheelchair with oxygen, and for every visit this patient had, say, a month, a visit every three months, a family member would have to get off work, go get grandpa, put him in a car, get their oxygen set up, get him into the clinic, get him into my exam room, which typically needed some furniture rearrangement to fit the oxygen in the wheelchair, all for me to visit with him for 10 minutes. The physical exam was limited in any emphysema patient. There's not much to hear when you listen to their lungs. And I used to think back then, wow, what a waste for the whole system. The family member usually had to take off work to bring the father in. And many times I could have done that visit as a video visit. But what stood in the way years ago and up until recently was that there was, it was very difficult to get reimbursement for a video visit. In fact, Medicare had this rule that the patient had to go into another healthcare system and sit in an office and then video between that office and the, the doctor, or you couldn't get reimbursed. Now, with the, this pandemic and the emergency rules change, we're allowed to see patients with video visits and bill standard office visits, E&M codes for those visits. So we've seen it explode, as you mentioned. We saw 2.5 million visits in April alone. And many customers went, well, we know one customer that went from 3,600 visits a year to 3,600 visits a day, video visits. It's here to stay. It's here to stay. I have a follow-up question on that too, uh, Sam. So you Mm -hmm. mentioned your specific experience uh, as a pulmonologist. And some use cases have been and that's for want of a better word, better candidates for televisits than others until the recent past. Are we going to see an expansion of the types of use cases for which telehealth is now going to be considered seriously 
while they were not before. Right. Yeah. It, it used to be that you, it was encouraged for you not to do a new evaluation uh, via video visits. And I think uh, from a specialist standpoint, some, I think in, in my example, I would have wanted to see that patient with emphysema at least once to get acquainted with them. But the subsequent visits could, many of them could have been done via video visits. But I think other types of complaints and other types of specialties will lend themselves to video visits, things like dermatology, and also urgent care where you can, using questionnaires before the patient comes in, you can say this patient is a perfect visit for a video visit. They are either possibly contagious and you don't want them to come in the clinic, or it'll be very difficult for them to get into the clinic because of the nature of their illness. All those things, you could do a video visit first. So I think that the idea that a video visit can't be used for an initial visit is also in the past. I might also add that in addition to the obvious increases that folks are seeing and familiarity that patients and providers are getting with using telehealth platforms, say through my chart and the changes in billing, we're also seeing an increase in the number of home monitoring devices that are available. So this is sort of coming on the back of a series of changes in technology that make it more viable as well for that individual to stay in the comfort of their own home and understand things like their pulse ox as part of a visit provide that to the provider, both helping convenience for the patient and in some cases, helping not expose the providers and clinicians and folks on the front line as well. So there's a variety of positives that we're seeing start to emerge on top of this. Yeah, I think, I know one of your questions was, what about the technology to make this happen? I think as we get more home in-home technology like oximetries and spirometry and even a stethoscope that could be placed on the patient's chest and could be then listened to or recorded and listened to by a provider. All those are possible. In fact, I uh, recently attended a conference where the discussion was, how do we get more lung function data directly into the EHR? And one of the attendees at this workshop was a patient, and he introduced himself as a patient who had undergone a lung transplant a few years ago. And every day, he does some spirometry, which is he measures his lung function. He does it in a handheld device, and it immediately goes up through his handheld device right into his EHR. And he did that. He said, let me pause during his introduction, and blew into the device, and he said, I just sent it to my transplant specialist. So they will have early, a very early warning system if he starts to have a problem with his lung. Fascinating. I think... Uh all these use cases point to a really fascinating uh, future in terms of technology-enabled remote care models. In the immediate present, though, uh, with COVID-19 upon us and we're kind of somewhere in the middle of this uh, uh, crisis, what are you seeing health systems doing in terms of advancing or modifying their clinical care protocols with the virtual care technology? Not just telehealth consults, but you know, other things, digital screening. You mentioned a couple of use mm-hmm. cases for remote monitoring. Yeah. What do you see? So first off, many, many of our customers have enabled and spread quickly pre-visit questionnaires for patients with COVID. So if you, if you use my chart, the patient's 
patient portal and say that you'd like to come in and you have a concern about a fever, cough, or shortness of breath, we can direct the patient to ask to a questionnaire. That questionnaire can be easily changed as recently the CDC added additional symptoms to the presenting symptoms of COVID. So we can ask about changes in taste, et cetera. Those questionnaires then can be answered prior to the visit. That can direct when the patient does arrive, the healthcare providers know, does this patient need to go directly to an isolation room? Is it best that they even stay in their car and somebody come out and test them in the car? All those different steps can be done using questionnaires that the patient takes before they arrive. And even they can be used in a handheld device. So 81% of patients in the United States or people in the United States have a smartphone, but those that don't can use their computer with internet browser or even use a family members or a friend as long as they have proxy access to their record. So that's the first step. And I think that the underlying platform that organizations are using with the Epic EHR at the core allows them in the context of something like COVID to deploy these tools quite quickly. Yeah. For example, Cleveland Clinic kind of went from an idea around how to use my chart care companion to having it deployed in 10 days. And now they're using that in sharing that content across the community, seeing other sites with 15 organizations using it and another 70 implementing it. And it's been that, that kind of core platform that allows those organizations to innovate in that way and then to spread what they learn to other organizations to help all care for their patients more effectively. I think the other interesting piece here is that these tools both help at the point of care in regards to those patients having been able to fill out their questionnaires at home and provide asynchronous visits, but they also into helping with public health where we have deeper information and a better understanding of symptoms across the population, for example. Yeah, and what Seth was talking about, the first part was questionnaires that I was gonna talk about. Second one was, is Care Companion. Now Care Companion is a tool that we use for, typically we thought it would be great for monitoring patients with diabetes and, and heart failure at home over a protracted period of time. But what it's being used for now with COVID is to monitor patients with confirmed or presumed COVID infection, monitoring them while they stay at home and doing early detection of symptoms that would indicate they need to come to the hospital. And Cleveland Clinic developed that from zero to in place in 10 days. And then as Seth said, have spread that to other customers as well, the, the actual content of the protocol. So a patient can be monitored at home, given daily tasks to monitor their temperature, their oximetry, their symptoms. They have tasks to read and become more educated in, as they start to feel better, what should they do as far as keeping their family safe for their friends and as they go back out in the community. So there's educational tasks. And then the questionnaires and data that they're entering are automatically monitored. And if a problem develops, like a declining oxygen saturation, even before it becomes abnormal, it can be sent to a case manager who can then contact the patient and do one of those video visits we talked about yeah. to yeah. check with them at home. Yeah. So yeah. it's all working together. Yeah. yeah, I actually really like the idea of co-developing a new solution for an immediate need or even for a future need 
as an example of Cleveland Clinic, and then making it available to the broader community of your clients. Yep. And in that context, one of the things that has been in the news as a collaborative effort between technology companies, among technology companies, and between technology companies and health systems is contact tracing. And I'm just curious uh, to hear your thoughts on this technology as an effective tool for checking the spread of the virus. And is Epic doing something in this regard? Are you working on on a contact tracing tool? Yeah, I alluded to pieces of this a moment ago in regards to my chart functionality. And I think broadly looking at contract tracing and possible technology implementations for supplementing it in the community, its effectiveness is really driven by broad adoption. And I think that in the context of some of the technologies that are being discussed today, there are reasonable considerations that might limit that adoption in certain contexts, both privacy as an example for some of the technologies that track and understand what individuals have come in contact with others, as well as limitations in regards to the use of those technologies in certain communities and certain populations. And as a result of that, we see this as one piece of the puzzle in understanding and tracking the spread of disease across the community and helping understand who may need to self-isolate, for example. But it needs to be augmented with other capabilities, both technology as well as kind of good old-fashioned folks reaching out to others to make sure that they're taking care of themselves and their loved ones and isolating where appropriate. So we certainly see it as part of the puzzle, but it needs to be augmented to fully account for the whole population. I was going to say we are improving some of the functionality of MyChart to allow, if the patient gives it permission, to have like a home screen that says, like, I've been recently tested and I am negative. So that can be, and also allow patients to enter a negative test from an outside source that didn't come from the healthcare system. I think there's a lot of uh, lot of questions uh, around, of course, the privacy aspects of it, but also the effectiveness of the technology. And uh, you know, to the point said about adoption rate, even in a country like Singapore, where uh, the adoption rates are much higher than you know, as a percentage of the population than, than elsewhere in the world, it's still only a, less than a million people have downloaded their contact tracing apps in a population of four or five million people. So it's still not that high, and. So there are limitations, even in a in a closed, uh, tightly monitored economy like like Singapore. I read somewhere interestingly the the emerging job of this year is contact tracer. So you know it's going to need a lot of people to actually follow through and uh, track down people who potentially may have been infected, as indicated by one of these contact tracing tools. So it's going to be very interesting, I guess, to see what what emerges next and what the long term implications of these technologies are. I think in addition to the contact tracing technologies kind of directly around understanding folks coming in contact with one another, using smartphones and other devices to allow folks and enable them to track and understand their symptoms, COVID flu-like symptoms, for example, and using that to understand at a population level how things may be spiking or declining as we're kind of going through this period of social isolation right now, the, I think that provi- can provide real value 
in understanding how and when we can start to open things back up. That's a great segue to another question I was going to ask. Hospitals are now turning to AI tools to uh, risk profile patients and, and predict deterioration, specifically in COVID-19. I know Epic has launched a tool to help with this. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Seth? Yeah, we're seeing pretty broad adoption at this point of using our deterioration index model, which aims to predict 12 hours in advance of, say, a code event or a need to transfer to an ICU for a patient on the med surge floors. We're seeing that tool used in the context of patients that have tested positive for COVID-19. As this pandemic started to hit, we rapidly released a series of capabilities for healthcare organizations to evaluate and understand that model in the context of COVID-19 positive patients, as well as guidance on workflows to use it in that context. And it's been a, an interesting set of conversations where they have quickly evaluated how the model performs and deeply understood the impact and value of it in workflow and have been implementing it across we have over 50 organizations using the model at this point. So let me talk a little bit about digital transformation. That's kind of what I do as part of my business. And we focus a lot of the conversation on this podcast also around digital transformation. Now, COVID-19 has happened. And uh, so my, you know, my question to you uh, folks is, when you look across your customer base and when you look across the landscape in general, are you seeing digital transformation slow down, accelerate, or remain pretty much the same in light of everything else that is going on with the COVID-19 response? I think one of the keys that we have seen is that by having a solid base of both a kind of critical infrastructure and a foundation across the health system, as well as things like my chart in patients' hands, Healthcare organizations have been able to rapidly innovate in a variety of spaces, both on the technology front, as well as in regards to their operations. So we've talked about some of the technology pieces, such as Cleveland Clinic's rapid deployment of MyChart Care Companion, the use of the deterioration index model for COVID, the rapid rollouts of telehealth, where organizations have changed their practice. But in addition to that, they've also updated their operations and continue to roll out in new ways. And we found that particularly interesting to see how they work. In fact, one of our customers decided to continue their go live as planned before COVID. They were a pediatric hospital and clinic organization. So they weren't as affected by the surge or the preparation for such a surge. So they decided to go ahead and partly they wanted to be up live and ready to go in the fall if influenza, RSV, and COVID comes back. So they went ahead with their go live this week. And on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Monday was the actual, Tuesday was the go live day. And we supported them virtually. So typically there's a command center set up at a go live with many tens, perhaps hundred, depending on how large it is, people in the command center and physicians like myself go on site to support physicians. And that was all done virtually, remotely this time in a virtual command center that we hosted here at Epic with everybody sitting in separate rooms and in a single building. And it, it was wonderful. We were able to give instant support to physicians who were sitting in front of a computer 
out in California, they'd press a button and our picture would appear and we could see their screen and answer questions. In fact, it was better than running around the hospital from one floor to another. So it is changing. And I think implementation meetings, everything is, we're doing so much more over webcasts and video ourselves. Fascinating. We're coming up to the end of our time here, and I have one last question for both of you. What does a new normal look like once we're done with all of this? I think from a physician standpoint, I think the new normal will be, Kaiser gave us a preview of that for a couple of years now, 50% of their primary care doctor's visits have been non-face-to-face, and that included a smaller amount of video visits. They did a lot more e-visits, but I think the future physician schedule will be 50% face-to-face visits and 50% non-face-to-face through video, telephone, and an asynchronous electronic visits back and forth. I think that's going to be the norm, and it'll be associated with appropriate reimbursement, so we can continue to do that. Yeah, I, I think that in addition to that kind of patient and provider approach to n- new technologies with telehealth, we will see organizations building out and continuing to enhance their foundational platforms to be able to adopt into workflow the implications of large data sets using things like the deterioration index model that I described earlier on a new set of patients to help provide better care and get them home quicker to their loved ones. So I think understanding that in the context of, say, rapid changes in the types of patients and the types of illnesses that folks are addressing, these platforms allow them to rapidly and quickly help care for those patients efficiently. Well, Sam and Seth, fantastic talking to you folks. And thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. And uh, I hope to talk to you folks again sometime uh, in the near future. Take care. All right. Thank you. Look forward to it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at thebigunlock.com.